Alright everyone, welcome to episode 30 of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host once again, Robbie Burke. And on this episode, I had the pleasure in interviewing Brett Contreras. On this episode, me and Brett discussed many topics, including Brett's background, his influences, problems Brett sees within the strength and conditioning industry, the difference between strength and conditioning in New Zealand, Australia and America, and also Brett's take on a recent strengthcoach.com thread. There was a lot of other topics discussed within this interview, and there was a lot of great information shared by Brett, and I hope you guys really enjoyed the show. Okay, Mr. Brett Contreras, Coach Brett Contreras, um, and soon to be soon to be Doctor Brett Contreras. Is that right? Uh, about a year and a half out still. So, <laughs> but uh, Brett, it's it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. So, just for any listeners who aren't too familiar with who you are in your background, just fill us in. Um, let's see. I've been a personal trainer for a lot of years since I was like. 19 or 20, um, got my CSCS probably around 10 years ago, um, got a master's degree, now I'm getting my PhD, I have a very popular blog at pinterest.com, uh, done a lot of work in glute strengthening and, and uh, that area, so that's probably what I'm known most for. Uh, my passions are is glutes and also sprinting, I just spoke at the uh, NSA National Conference about a week and a half ago on sprint biomechanics. Um, guess that about wraps up. Who would you say, Brett, have been your your biggest influences within within the field? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I bought uh, these VH, VHS tapes so many years ago. They were um, Elite FTS tapes by uh, Jim Wendler and Dave Tate. And I, I watched them, you know, I watched them over and over. I also read a lot of Louis Simmons stuff. And it's funny because when I started training people, I tr- just trained them how they did. I, you know, stuck to the form that they did. And and uh, I'd have, like, I wasn't training world-class powerlifters. I was training wimpy beginners and, and women and giving them box squats and, you know, back extensions and, and, uh, and they loved it, you know, step-ups and um, all types of different um, single leg and, and posterior chain exercise, and they loved it, you know. They loved uh, they, they loved training like athletes, and so that's, you know, it was kind of funny because when I opened up my studio, uh, I had, the most clients I ever had at one point was 55, but it was like 48 women and like seven men, and, uh, you know, I was training them all like, giving them all these, you know, like advanced exercises, but that's the way they like to train. And I didn't even do any advertising. It was just all word of mouth spreading. And I had that three months in to my, to when I opened up my gym. So I have to credit them for a lot of my success. And I kept further developing some of the posterior chain exercise because I realized that for a lot of these women, uh, you know, they felt that some of the other exercises were more responsible for their glute development than just like, say, squats and deadlifts. They felt their glutes working more during, uh, say, the 45-degree hypers or, you know, um, I came up with an exercise underneath the reverse hyper where you kind of use the pendulum to kick your leg up. I call it the pe- pendulum quadruped hip extension. Mm. And then I started doing more, more hip thrusting and things like that. But I went off in my own direction based on my clientele, but, uh, you know, I've, I have to 
credit them for being a huge influence in, in the way I train people. It's uh, I, I actually never told you the story, but I, uh, you, I, you know I interned with Mike Boyle, but it was in 2009, and he recently had just come back from Long Beach, and it was in our very first staffing, well, my first staff meeting there as an intern, and he sat down and he told the staff about, oh, we just met this crazy guy called Breck Contreras, and he kept following me around with this book about glute training. <laughs> and it's so funny looking back on it now, because, cause, you know, at first Mike was like, oh, I don't know what this guy's deal was, but like he was very, very interesting, and, you know, he had a very good looking girlfriend, and, uh, and he seemed to know what he was on about, but, you know, he kept talking about glutes, and I was just like, oh my God, this guy keeps following me around. And it's so funny that, like, it, it, this is you now, and we kind of know your personality, and know you're so passionate. But it's so funny. But how did you get into this idea of being, you know, the glute guy, Brett Contreras, hip lifts? How did this all come about? Well, it's funny because uh, uh, looking back, I have to laugh. I think it was 2009, uh, Perform Better Long, Long Beach. That's, yeah, that's it. Uh, I, so when I had my studio, my clients would always tell me, like, Brett, these are, you know, especially more of the advanced clients who had trained with a lot of different trainers and uh, around the valley, and they'd say, Brett, your methods, you know, are world class. You need to spread these methods to the rest of the world. You need to start a blog. You need to start writing. And I had no time. I was so busy training people, um, you know, but after I finished training people, in the, at nighttime, then I would write the workouts. I remember I would usually fall asleep writing the workouts <laughs> for like 15 minutes, and then I'd, I'd do my own workout. I'd get home, I had barely enough energy to read the, you know, T Nation article for the day or something, and, and then I'd, you know, cook dinner and, and fall asleep. So um, I realized I need to, you know, I need to write a book on my methods, uh, and I can't just have it be this is the way this one dude out there trains people. Other people need to, you know, for these methods to be popular, other people have to start doing them and jump on the bandwagon. So I felt that, you know, who, who, can't, who can argue with science if I, you know, test the EMG activation? Um, and, you know, so I, I tested the EMG activation of all these different exercises, and I had this hypothesis that you'd get the highest activation with, like, hip thrusts and things like that, but... You know, I didn't know I didn't know what to expect, but it turns out you get a lot higher activation. So I wrote it up in my glute ebook, and then went to perform better with like nine different reports in like a, a folder. And I would I would I target targeted the people who I thought you know would appreciate this information the most. And so I remember going up to um, Mike Boyle, Alan Cosgrove, Eric Cressy, uh, God, who else? Like Martin Rooney. Even Vern Gambetta, which cracks me up, because looking back, uh, I remember my report even mentioned some machine stuff, and you know he is—he would—he's probably just like rolling his eyes. But I have to laugh because these these people must have thought I was completely crazy. But <laughs> some of the people liked it. Uh, Martin Rooney and I had a really good talk about. He's like super interested in the glutes, and he'd be like, "What about the the Power Runner? Did you test that? You know." Um, and we ended up having a great discussion, but yeah, it was kind of funny because Eric Cressy ended up writing a, an article a couple years later on T-Nation saying, you know, he thought I was crazy, but then he went and experimented with the methods, and now they do a lot of the glute bridging and hip thrusting at Cressy Performance, so I guess I'm happy that I did it, but looking back, I was, uh, I was like one of my overzealous fans now when I go to 
to seminars and people treat me that way, I'm like, oh man, this guy's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how it comes full circle. But you, you, you had this facility, Lifts, I believe, that was the name. Like, how, how did it actually? I was just thinking about this today. You know, I was thinking earlier because I, I was thinking I have to interview Brett today, and I was thinking about this question that, like, I have my own facility here, and I'm thinking, God, it would be so hard for me to actually shut this down or to let it go and I, I know that must be a very hard decision for you to make to be like I have to let this go so I can do this research just tell me what what was it like at that moment in your life I'd say it must be a bit scary in one way was it? No well um, so uh, my in Phoenix um, you know the economy was collapsing Yeah. and when I first started up like I said I didn't do any advertising it's funny because I didn't even have any money saved up when I opened up my gym. It was like, this thing better make it because I don't have a three bit, months a plan to B. work myself. Yeah. And, uh, and, and like every month, I, every day I would get people who walked in. This was in 2000 and, 2006. I, I would get people who walked in every day, opened the doors and said, you know, what is this place about? Do you have any brochures? And then, you know, I'd have, you know, three people come in every day and go, hey, my friend told me about this. You know, she's she just started training here. And it was so easy getting clients. And then the economy collapsed. And you had, um, you know, I had clients come up to me saying, Brett, you know, this is the best part of my day. You've been the greatest influence of, you know, in the last year of my life. It's the only, lifts is the only thing that makes me feel good inside. It's like cheers, you know, where... Yeah, yeah. Everyone knows your name, and and uh, but my husband lost his job, and you know, like uh, I started losing clients, and I think I got down to around thirty clients. I had to let uh, I had hired two trainers. I had to let them go, uh, which I felt horrible about. And then I I resumed training everyone, and so I was still making money, but not enough, and uh. And the economy in Phoenix here, like the whole, my whole plaza shut down to where I was one of like, out of like 15 stores in my plaza, only two of them were open. So I was getting no foot traffic and no, um, like, you know, no, uh, you know, like I wasn't getting any people walking in the doors and the, my referrals were down. Yeah. So I thought my, my rent at the time for a 1300 square foot place was like, was $3,800. And so, you know, I had friends who um, had a facility in Tempe for like $800 a month, and they split it. The two of them split it. So I'm like, God, that, that would be a lot better come up with $400 a month rent than $3,800. And so uh, I learned a lot from the experience, but my lease came up, you know, to ride signed a short lease. So when the time came up to renew, I said, I'm getting out of here. So it wasn't a hard decision, yeah. and I always plan on opening up another place. In fact, I still do, but uh, I'm getting my PhD now, and it's just uh, something I don't want to. I don't want to do while I'm getting my PhD, but down the road, I'm, I can see myself opening up another facility, and you know, but it's it's hard, it's hard work. You got if you want to build your business, you, that's got to be your priority. And when when did you decide that okay, if if I want to be taken serious, I need to do EMG studies on this? kind of funny um uh so i it was actually a friend of mine i was i, I wrote this i wrote i was writing the book the ebook and i had my categorization
navigation system, like there are exercises with anteroposterior vectors and axial vectors, and there are ones where you you know you're you're extending the knee, ones that are straight leg, ones that are bent leg, and so I categorize hip extension exercises based on these the load vector and the knee action, and so I just had speculated like based on doing the exercises with clients and myself I said you know these are the ones that are going to elicit the highest muscle activation these are going to induce the greatest strain on the fibers and the most muscle damage these are the ones you know that you know are going to these work the hamstrings and the glutes these ones target more than you know the glutes and I never even thought about conducting EMG but uh, one of my a colleague of mine said why don't you uh I had sent him this ACE, uh, if you type in on Google, ACE glutes to the max, you'll get from 2006, there's this PDF report. It's not a published study, but the researcher, Porcari, is, he's a good researcher, so it's, it's legit. But they conducted this glute study, and I shared it with him, and he said, why don't you do this? And I had never considered learning EMG, I thought it was so complex. So I did a search for like EMG equipment, and I found out that Naraxon was actually right down the street from me, Naraxon's headquarters. They were, in, they were in Scottsdale, Arizona. So I went to Naraxon, asked them to teach me how to conduct EMG. They did, and they were great because anytime I had questions, they would, um, you know, they'd help me. And so I, I conducted I, like, two or, like two months of extensive analysis. I mean, I was in, the, in my, it was, it was before I shut down my facility, and I would finish training people and then do EMG in, in my you know, in my underwear, like with electrodes hooked up to me till like two in the morning. My poor girlfriend at the time, I barely even saw her for those couple months, but uh, it taught me so much. I, I learned so much from those couple months. It's paid off, you know, very well. What would you say, Brett, are, are the biggest, you know, the, the biggest problems you see within, within the field of strength and conditioning? Um, I think that, uh, you know, I go to a lot of conferences, I speak to coaches, I also speak to researchers. Um, there's this feeling that it's like black or white, all or nothing. Like, like uh, I mean, like when I was in New Zealand, um, uh, the, like the, the strength coach for the All Blacks, um, he has his PhD and he's a strength coach, you know, he has gym experience and research knowledge, so it's like, for some reason, strength, a lot of strength coaches in the U.S. feel like, they, I think they're intimidated by research and scientific knowledge, um, so, um, so like, uh, I'm trying to look up right now, um, yeah, it, Nick Gill, he's the strength coach for the All Blacks, he's, he's awesome, he, he He's uh, like an assistant professor at AUT. He's involved in research. They do a lot of research on, in rugby. And why wouldn't you want to be that way? You know, he's got weight room experience. He's in the gym with the guys all day long. But he also, it's like, you know, to be the best you can be, you should do both. You should want to understand the science. You should stay current with the research. You should try to be involved in the research. And you should, you know, maintain a strong practical component too. But and that's what you see with a lot of upper level coaches, but it, a lot of coaches I meet, they kind of shun the science and it's like, I don't know, I, I don't I don't understand that whatsoever. I don't see many uh, researchers shun the coaches at all. Most researchers I know love the different coaches 
and they don't have this holier-than-thou attitude because of their scientific knowledge. Mm. But uh, I think the coaches are intimidated by it, and so I hear a lot of them say, like, you know, screw the research. The research is always three years behind, and no, it's not. Sometimes it's not. That's not how it works. Sometimes the research is ahead of the. You know, it's 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 not an accurate depiction of research. I, and ideally, we work together to create the best methods. Well, what do you think are the biggest problems you see with research then? So if, if we go from if we go from the far left side of the actual strength and conditioning industry, let's go to the far right side and say, okay, what are the problems with research then? Well, like, uh, I think it's not the problems with research as much as the fact that um, we need better relationships and better communications between the sports science researchers and the practitioners because, um, you know, like, like, there isn't much research, like, there are only about a few researchers who I see who regularly do good research on, on new exercises that we like to do in the field, like, Stu McGill does a lot, you know, you'll see him do research on modern exercises, um, but like, uh, you know, um, and there's a, a guy, Swinton, uh, Kayway Mori, there's some different sports science researchers who are really good, they put out good stuff, they, you can tell they pay attention to, uh, you know, like, like there's the online strength and conditioning world with all the people that we know about, you know, and then there's... And so they, you can tell they, they read the blogs and things like that because so their research reflects that. They'll use, like, you know, straight bar deadlifts versus hex bar deadlifts or heavy sled loads versus lighter sled, sled loads, things like that. But really, a lot of the research you see in sports science is very abstract. They aren't well-grounded. They aren't connected to what, what are the current topics. And on the flip side, the... The strength coaches don't know, you know, they aren't friends. They haven't built relationships with any sports scientists. If they went to conferences and attended these people and showed an interest in sports science and attended these people's lectures and started emailing them, you know, and, and started saying, you, you know, I'd love to see a study, you know, looking at the um, spinal loading of, of, you know, pow-off presses or something like that, heavy sumo stance pow-off presses or, you know, the you know, joint torques and EMG of Bulgarian split squats versus, you know, front squats or something like that. Um, but then you, but that, that's tricky because like it's, you have to really get in, you have to really know, you have to submerge yourself in that, submerge yourself in that field of sports science because for example, even there, there, there's only like one lab that I know of, Duke McGill's lab that conducts spinal loading here in the U.S. I know there's a few worldwide, but there's only a few labs who, who do spinal loading. So you have to learn what, what labs have what technology and if they can do, you know, do they use force plates? Do they use EMG? Do they have isokinetic dynamometers? Do they have capability to calculate joint torques? Things like that. You, you, you have to really, I mean, it takes time to learn that, but most coaches don't don't bother to take the time. They don't. You know, they don't sub- submerge themselves in the field of sports science. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what would you say to the coaches that would say, say, for instance, Alan Cosgrove, he would say that he's doing constant research every single day in his gym. In a, di- in a different route, that, of course, he means by research that just training his clients and seeing results. Right. Uh, but it's not controlled. You know, it's, it's when, the, when you publish research, 
you know, you have to control all the variables, you have to conduct statistical analysis and things like yeah. that, and that's what makes it for such good quality research. And so if, let, let's say, uh, Alan and Rachel decided, like, we're going to, um, I, I've mentioned this to Alan before, actually, and he said, he made some good points, like, you can't, you can't, um, like, they're paying clients, you can't just, like, trick them into being guinea pigs for studies and things like that. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but let's say that he did conduct a huge scale study on fat loss, for example, and and used his, his methods uh, to track fat loss over like a you know one year period and they had a ton of subjects, like two hundred subjects. I bet you they would show that uh, to me that would be awesome because it would show a, a he could list out his programming, and, and then that research, is, that research is out there for the whole world. You know, it reaches a broader scale, people yeah. from different countries. And, yeah, you could say, well, he's already doing that. He speaks for Perform Better, and he's out there, you know, uh, you can buy his products and learn his methodology that way. But, uh, you know, I, I, that's an, an interest that I have is I like – research I like publishing because like my methods are you know I went to New Zealand and half of the studios I went to they're all doing hip thrusts like what the first gym I went to I saw like three different people doing hip thrusts during one hour session like barbell hip thrusts and I'm going I don't even I don't see this in America you know yeah. um, so it, you spread it so it's all about your desires as a coach if my desire as a coach is to spread my methods worldwide and get them as popular as possible then I will, like I wrote a couple years back, I wrote an article for the SCJ, a exercise technique barbell hip thrust journal article. Mm. You know, I do stuff like that, and I, I can plan on conducting more studies over time. But, you know, those coaches could say, well, I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm using a systematic approach. I'm being scientific in my methodology. But what I would say to that is that you can, you always have so much to learn when you do control the variables and you do start tinkering around. You start realizing, you know, maybe if I, what happens if I take out the high intensity interval training and just stick with resistance training and, and good diet, how does that affect things? What happens when I, you know, focus more on strength gains rather than cardio or what happens more when I take out this component or when I introduce this component is this what effect does this have on fat loss and so you um, that's how you learn how you really learn when you really control the variables and you have no confounding variables that's how you really see what effect is you know is um, is most useful and things like that so again there's a lot of ways to do things in this field and to tend to popularize your methods and to make an influence but I think I, I personally wish that more more of the top dogs, you know, did learn research and master that side of things because it just makes them more effective. I yeah. mean, could you imagine like Verkoshansky or Melsif or Zatsiorsky, you know, they, they had a, practice, a solid practical background and a research background, and that's why they're legends in our field. Could you imagine if they just started shunning science and research? Hmm. They wouldn't do that. That's like an American thing to do lately is to shun and say, oh, screw the research. We're always so ahead of the research. And that is so arrogant. I can't even believe that people say that because we're not always ahead of the research. In fact, how many of the fads and trends that you see that fell by the wayside 
came from guys who claimed they were ahead of the research. They weren't ahead of the research. They were making crap up and thought that they were, you know, out of this false bravado and hubris. They thought they were ahead of the research and they weren't. Just co- coming coming out of this discussion now, I ha- I've actually had two or three more questions, even just from this, from what I already had written down. But uh, we'll start with with America and New Zealand. What were the biggest differences that you saw between strength and conditioning in America and New Zealand? Well, it's, it's hard to say because, again, I was at a university which attracts more, uh, you know, and I, like I spoke at conferences there, and so you, you, you see more uh, serious, you know, people who take the research seriously. What I loved is I'd be talking to like a regular student, just a bachelor's student, uh, and he, you know, the, the student would come up to me in the gym and go, hey, you know, hi, Brett Contreras, I read your blog, and you know, something you wrote the other day on whatever, on, uh, you know, the, the, the orientation of forces during sprinting. I was thinking about that and blah, blah, blah. And can you, uh, can you, any chance you could send me that paper? I want to read it. And I'm going, this is a bachelor's level student. I don't even see, like, I don't see that in the U.S. Yeah. But, you know, it's hard to say if that's a difference between New Zealand and America in Australia and America, or if it's just that I was uh, I was biased because of my sample size, my population was different because I was at a university. Um, but I just, uh, you know, I my, the impression that I got was that was that they and and it's funny because they aren't they're practical based, but again, it's not black and white. You don't have to be all or nothing. You should be a good mixture of both of scientific. You know, you should concern yourself with the literature, and then also because the literature helps you formal, you know, formulate hypotheses. Like, oh, if this is the limiting factor in sprinting, then maybe this exercise is better for developing sprint speed. And then you test it out in the mm-hmm. gym. But had you never even known, you know, the science of sprinting, then you wouldn't even be able to form hypotheses. Wouldn't even be able to question your own methodology to know if maybe something's better. Mm-hmm. Brett, can you talk about, and this again comes from the question before, it's, you just said about arrogance within the field, can you just talk about maybe gurus, and something actually I want you to touch on too is, I actually heard this from Patrick Ward on Mike Robinson's podcast before where he says, what he sees a lot of days is people just become very accepting of their gurus, that they don't even question them anymore, even if what they say is a bit sort of out there, they just kind of accept it. That's the, guru, the guru's follower now, so can you just maybe speak on guruism? Um... Well, the, I, I don't know if Mel Sif coined the term, but that's where I heard the term guruism from. And it's a weird thing, and probably all fields have this, but strength and conditioning, certainly, you see it a lot. And, um, and basically, it's, a, it's this weird thing where these, the followers of a particular individual, they, it's almost like uh, they become obsessed with this, this, this coach or practitioner, and they would, you know, if this coach said that you should jump off a cliff, they would. It's um, They blindly follow this person, and they idolize and kind of worship this person and don't question anything. And I will tell you, like, some of, some of the people I learned from, um, like Stu McGill, I've learned more about spinal biomechanics from him than any other person in the world. Not just spinal biomechanics. I've probably read, you know, uh, over a hundred of his papers, easy, and I've learned so much about biomechanics in general. 
and I would credit him as being one of the most influential people in my own scientific, uh, you know, advancement. But that doesn't mean I won't question Stu, and he would question me. Uh, that's an all good sign. I'm good friends with Brad Schoenfeld. He's one of my best friends, but I don't believe everything he says, and mm-hmm. he doesn't believe everything I say. But we talk it out, and mm-hmm. we, you know, it's it, and it's civil. Uh, we have the utmost respect for one another, but you know I, that's why we get along so well. I don't expect him to just go along with everything I say, and vice versa. We, you know, if we don't, if we disagree. We'll say, well, wait, why do you think that? Because it's my understanding that this is how it happens, and I know of this research that says this, and then here I will counter with, no, you know that that's an older study. You need to see this study and this study. And that's, you know, I don't think that's quite the way it happens, but, but you know, here's how I would really get to the bottom of it. I'd conduct a study where I did, you know, I controlled this and did this, and then here's what I expect what, what would happen. Mm-hmm. And then we're both on the same page. We know where each other is coming from, but we don't just sit there and blindly accept what the other is saying. But you, there's um, such an, a lot of the gurus target very uneducated, you know, basic lifters, and they make very bold statements. And it's kind of, I, I have this theory that some of the gurus are, they're onto this, and they've mastered the formula of being a guru, and it's to be like 85% scientific and 15% batshit crazy. Mm-hmm. And it's weird. That's the right formula because it's like a soap opera type thing where the people like the drama, the people love the whole. You know, some of these gurus say these off-the-wall things, and you're like, that is so idiotic. But <laughs> but the, 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 the people love it. The, their, their followers love it, and they defend it, no matter how absurd it is. So Yeah, it's, yeah it is. It, it, but, and it's funny, too, because a lot, a lot of these gurus, you know, they, they kind of expose questioning conventional wisdom. And the, one of the kind of messages they're trying to get across is, you know, question everything. And then their followers end up just not questioning them. They start believing what they do. And the kind of underlying principle of their guru themselves is to question. So it's kind of like ironic that that happens. Like I see this with Elliot Holtz on YouTube. And I, I really like Elliot. I think he's a great guy. really like what he does. Um, and, you know, more power to Elliot. But like, it's like all of a sudden everybody starts writing in these questions and they hang on everything Elliot says like as if every word he says he's correct and they don't they don't seem to question him anymore and I'm like this is exactly what Elliot wouldn't want from people he'd want you to question I mean like because uh, I know Elliot's a big fan of Ralph Waldo Emerson like me and Ralph Waldo Emerson has a brilliant essay called uh, Self-Reliance and the whole essay is about don't be a conformist think for yourself be your own man or woman or person so it's, it's kind of ironic in a way, too, that the gurus are kind of trying to expose, oh, question conventional wisdom or, you know, the conventional thoughts that are out there. And, and you know, don't be conformist. But then the followers end up following this guru and conforming to every single thing they say. So it's a bit ironic. Well, so uh, when you start uh, when you when you start kind of attending the conferences and, you know, getting more involved in, like, for example, NSCA and things like that. You start to, you know, you can you can pinpoint these people right away. One of the reasons <laughs> that I am gaining popularity is because of my evidence-based approach. And you can see in my blog comments, when someone questions me, you know, over the past six months, if you go back and read all my blogs and you see people ask questions in, in the comment section, I... You know, I I will say I don't know, but here's what I think. 
Yeah. I don't know the answer to that. Here's what I think. Or uh, here's some, you know, here's some research that I'm aware of. Or, you know, I, but I'm cautious with, and, and I'm not afraid to change my mind. Yeah. Like, if I, new research comes out, you know, I will tell you. Here's how I thought it used to happen. But, in fact, I'm going to have a blog post today where I tell you about, uh, um, you know, a, a study that came out that changed the way that I understand things. And so your knowledge should flow with research. And since a lot of these gurus don't read research, they don't have a good scientific base, they won't change their stance. They make these stupid, you know, this is the only way to squat is this way. Every other squat is dangerous. And the box squat um, breaks your sacrum. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to crush your sacrum. But is the, is the bench press going to crush your scapula, you know? Um, it's like um, they make these very bold statements and their followers just go along with it, even though some of them, like if you pin the follower down and said, come on, like you really believe this, they, they, they'd probably admit to not believing it. But they go along with it because they're more concerned with being accepted by that guru. That guru has a forum. Most of the gurus have forums. And, they, the, and so this gives the guru a, um, a platform to shine in. The, the, this guru is the leader and uh, you see it uh, John Fass and I just spoke about someone uh, on our last podcast I didn't even go to the person's forum to read it but it, John was telling me about it and I'm like that all, all the people were saying like well Brett can't be right because he he's not a good squatter he, don't, he only squats like 385 and it's like Okay, well, I've trained like I trained a raw lifter who squatted 525 at a weight of 198. I've trained my girlfriend in six months. I trained her, and she set the Arizona squat record. She weighs like at 113 or whatever, squatted 225 in six months of training. So like, um, that you, are you gonna go by my strength or by my client's strength? You know, are you gonna go by um, like? That's called ad hominem. It doesn't. You're you're just attacking the. It's a logical fallacy. You're attacking the person without addressing anything scientific about it. And you see this by all the gurus. They they themselves either resort to ad hominem by calling the person names rather than addressing the science, or they their followers do it and they don't correct them. And that's the problem I have. If I if I wrote a blog post and my followers were like, you know. Brett, what do you think about this issue? And I was arguing the science behind it, and someone said, yeah, well, this guru who said it is just an alcoholic or just some lazy, you know, guy. I would say, well, that has nothing to do with it. I would reply to that person and say, that has nothing to do with it. We have to look at the science. You, what you're doing is ad hominem. I would take the time to explain, no, guys, don't go down this road, you know, leave personal feelings out of it and stick to the science. But these gurus don't do that because deep down they love it when their followers are like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's what they're going for. They're not trying to teach people. They're teaching their people to be follow blind followers, not rational, evidence-based thinkers. But see, <laughs> humans aren't rational, though, Brett, for the, for the majority of the part. Like, that's the thing when you... It's like, uh, you know... Uh, when you're even like looking at a, a training program and it look it's perfect and everything's perfect but then it's like yeah but then he has to put a human element into that like I mean he could have a row with his girlfriend or get sick and that ruins the training program or 
communism, if you, re- if you actually sat down and read communism, saying, oh, this is a very logical system, but wait, you have to put, like, humans into this system. That's why it doesn't work. Oh, you know, it's funny because sometimes I, sometimes I watch what the gurus do and I go, God, I could so easily do that. And I could just, I, if I sold out and I could come up with these systems that sounded so good on paper, but, you know, and I could come up with crazy names and methods and, uh, you know, explanation as to how they work, and it would be this, I could sell the sizzle really well, you know? Mm. And I could just, you know, go go down the affiliate route, and I could probably make a fortune, but I don't go that route. And it's frustrating sometimes because I choose to be scientific. I choose to go that path. Yeah. And it's... uh. And sometimes I'm going, you know, I have scientific evidence on my side, and I'm battling these people, but when was science, you know, like, if you look at our history of humans, when was science ever, like, you know, think back to a lot of the great scientific discoveries that were um, covered up because of either religion or, you know, politics or something, and it's like, even nowadays, all these hokey beliefs out there with scientific phenomena, whether it's, you know, people shunning evolution or people shoving, shunning, um, you know, people believing in weird, quacky things like, you know, like supernatural phenomena, all this stuff. It's like, they, it's, life is boring and it's a lot more exciting to attribute things to, you know, like (laughs) to not learn science and to just have your own wacky beliefs. And so, you know, like, that's how I, I just think yeah, it's, about it. The it's, human it's, mind is bored and they want to believe. They don't, science is hard. It's a lot easier see, to yeah, I, It's true. I, I had this conversation with a friend yesterday. We were just, we met in the gym as I was leaving and he was coming in and whenever we meet, we always, it's kind of, we always meet and it's like, oh no, we're going to be here for an hour now because we always just end up having deep, deep conversations. But we were just briefly talking about like science and we were just like, like, could science ever have a non-biased human emotion? Because so much science has that you know people have a bias or nearly a lot of scientists have a bias going into a certain study so it is very hard to get very unbiased very clean science because again you have to take that human element into it where someone is trying to i mean like if you take like the cholesterol the, the lipid hypothesis with ansel keys i mean that guy just was completely biased he just wanted to prove that he was right with saturated fat and heart disease and like the science on that is just absolutely terrible so sometimes uh what I like to do, I think it's a good a good activity, is I'll be talking to a strength coach and I'll say, I want you to argue this, take for, this for the stance. Side, yeah, yeah. Then you flip-flop stances, and it gets you good at really being good. aware of the limitations of your own argument. And it's, it's good to keep yourself in check because even my own, you know, certain things that I believe, I can argue my case very well but i could argue against it better than almost anyone as well so yeah i actually do the exact same thing because like even say you know i I suppose i I would be a sort of a proponent of you know eating real food so it's you know like people call it paleo primal i'm not i don't want to get into this whole argument but you know eating real food like you know and and then like do i eat animal foods and then like i could always have the argument of I can nearly go from the vegan vegetarian perspective and say, well, what about this and this, you know, just, just to tr- be a devil's advocate, just to like, try, as you said, look at it from the other counterpoint and have these counterpoints. But uh, I think that that's exactly what I do. I always say, you know, I want you to defend uh, on the other side, you know, I want you to go against yourself because it really does make you think. It's, that's, that's funny that I do that as well. 
It's really, really funny. Brett, I want, I want to talk about this thread that you put on Strength Coach because uh, I have to say I was very impressed with it. It was very transparent and it's exactly what I'm all about because I recently, Vern Gambetta was my last interview and we spoke about the FMS and listen, Vern, lovely guy, was really nice offline, it was a great interview and all this, but like, and I said this to him, he, he's com- he has completely false assumptions about the FMS and his arguments against, against the FMS are based off false assumptions. So like, for instance, he's like, he's a proponent of Kelvin Giles's PCA, which is, which underlying philosophy is exactly the same as the FMS, which is basically movement quality for movement quantity. And my whole thing with Fern was, and Fern goes, I've never actually spoken to Gray or met the guys. And, and I was just kind of like, how can you like criticize a system when you've never even spoken to Gray or Lee Burton or Brett or spent a weekend with them? Or So my big passion is like, you know, only criticize something if you really know it inside out and back to front and you've actually spent time with the actual person themselves. And I, when I interviewed Stuart McGill, he said the same thing. He's like, you know, have you met this person? Have you shared a beer with them? Have you gone to their house? Have you spoke to them online? Like, So on Strength Coach... I, I, well, before I... Go on, yeah. Your next question. I, I will say that I do agree, but it's also hard to separate one thing that I, I kind of, if you've noticed, I, I keep to myself. I don't have these strong bonds with a lot of people because it, I do this on purpose because it, it, then I'm not objective. I know. Yes, yeah. I, I agree. Get, I agree. Yeah. Friendships can actually get in the way of being, you know, let's say I have, um, you know, a, a sit down and have a beer with a- anyone in the field, whether it's Brad Schoenfeld's thoughts on hypertrophy, you know, Greg Cook on the FMS, Stu McGill's final stuff, my sprinting stuff, whatever. And um, you sit down and have a talk with them, and they're the nicest person ever. Then you feel bad, actually, and you shouldn't. As a scientist, if you stick to science, if everyone spoke the same language, if we were all on the same side of science, then you would not be offended if somebody critiqued, as long as they gave a fair and a good critique of your conjectures, then you would be happy because we're all on the same side of science and you'd be, hey, this is progress. And it, 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 you know, it made me realize that my hypotheses are not as, you know, or my conclusions are not as strong as they should be. And we need more research for me mm-hmm. to make this claim. Mm-hmm. And maybe this person's right, maybe they're wrong, wrong, but we do need future research before I can confidently say this. So I do agree with what you're saying. You need to fully educate yourself about it. Uh, but sometimes if you go against someone and people say, well, you know, have you talked to this person? Well, no, but you're responding to what they wrote or what they said. So that's why you need to be careful about what you put online or what you say because that stuff can and will be used against you. Yeah, well, I, I just want to make it clear that I absolutely agree with what you're saying. Don't let your you know close relationship with someone cloud your objective judgment which i completely agree again i mean i've got very close friends and i like to think that i am in a position where if i didn't agree with them again i won't conform just because you're let's say i don't know not that i I never say i have a best friend but let's say with a close friend and they say something and i'm in my head going no i don't believe that it's kind of i don't know if you ever saw that research experiment they did years ago like back in the 70s where it was five people in a room and four were actors and one guy wasn't and he wasn't aware that the other four were actors and and the, the scientist or whoever he was the, the authority figure was showing them all these lines and and they were all like which line is the shortest line and everyone was picking the wrong line and the guy who 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 didn't know that the other four were actors after about the third round he just started picking what everyone else was picking just just to conform like yeah there have been several studies like that it's so yep. it's so funny but i completely agree with what you're saying you know not to let 
a friendship uh, involvement, you know, a cloud your objective judgment. But what, what I'm trying but, to get... I, I, well, I know we, you want to talk about this thread and I keep interrupting you, but one thing I love about Brad Schoenfeld is uh, he wrote a paper pertaining to, I don't know if it was nutrient timing or what it was, and Alan Aragon took him to task in his research review, you know, uh, Alan's AARR. Mm. And Brad read it, read Alan's uh, critique, thanked him, pulled up all the papers, and then renewed his, you know, his thought process and beliefs on that. That's, he said, that's, bri- that's, that's, that's brilliant, though. That's exactly what you want. Like, there, yeah, there... I said, Brad, are you, are you mad at Alan? He goes, hell no, I'm not mad. Why would I be mad? He just, he made me a better scientist. I was very confident about what I wrote, and I had not seen a few of the, you know, studies that Alan pointed to. I pulled him up, and he was right. He made me a better scientist, and he made me smarter than I am today, and they're really good friends. Yeah, yeah, and but it's... Like, that's how it should be, but in today's world with gurus, it's like, you question me, you're obviously a stupid idiot, you know? It's it's so funny, though, because there's a, a very... A guy in mine, he's a hero. His name is Joseph Shilton Pierce. He's wrote a lot of stuff on kind of spiritual development child development stuff like that but he said he actually said what he used to do was he'd make presentations and talks and he'd, he'd make like his own sort of theories and assumptions and he'd get people in, in like the presentations going that's crap what you're saying like i have research to like go against that and he'd be like oh please tell me because this is exactly why i do this <laughs> so that's how he learned so much over the years he used to say like i hope people would stop me and say no no i've researched the contra dick that and then he, he that's how he collected all his data over the years it was just a, like it's funny how he saw criticism as a such a positive thing whereas we're taught to think of it as a bad thing he's like no it's it's a positive thing like it makes you better it makes you learn yep but uh but the, but the, the, the one before we get on to this the strength host question the one thing i, I i'm just w- want to make clear is that what what kind of gets to me is people making arguments against things w- based off very false assumptions that's what i'm trying to get across is you know don't be making arguments with something based off all systems to try and understand and I think a lot would say with the F messing with Fern is just that a lot of people just have Grey completely misunderstood and they're basing arguments against Grey and the FMS off completely false assumptions and that's not just with the FMS that's with many many things you know nutrition health and wellness medicine but with this this thread on strength coach you know there, you, you kind of logged back in and saw that a lot of the coaches on there were kind of criticizing you and maybe again it might, it might be this false assumption thing you, you were kind of like well that's not exactly what i was saying you're, you're misinterpreting me but i love the thread it was transparent it said listen you know there was no like oh you know this coach or this coach there was names involved you know it was very directed towards mike boyle himself and just you know talk about this thread and talk through it and uh, you know why did you feel the need to put up this thread it was got oh, grilled brett Contreras, i believe it was, was it? yeah and i think i might put a blog post out saying I got to grill this next guru. He's getting out of control and then grill myself because it's, I want to show people on my blog how to respond to, uh, you know, like good questions. If someone poses a good question, like on my blog, I try to say that's a very good question and then I'll say what I think. But if, um, I've been, uh, like I've been labeled a contrarian before, which <laughs> cracks me up because it's by people who are way more contrarian than I am. Uh, people who, you know, who I feel have gone against the grain in a much greater degrees. Like everyone did crunches. We didn't. All, none of these coaches started going. Oh my God, we have to quit doing crunches because I'm getting all these injuries left and right. And then, like. 
coaches who jumped on the bandwagon and said, oh, we have got to stop doing crunches because you have a limited number of flexion extension cycles. They didn't do so. If, if it were really the crunches hurting people, we would have known that before the research on it came out. We would have said, oh, God, this is like we don't have people do heavy-ass round-back deadlifts. You know what I mean? Because we know that that immediately hurts people. And, yeah, you could say, well, it's, it's a slowly, you know, it's a gradually happening process that occurs over time. The annulus slowly, you know, the, the nucleus slowly works its way out of the annulus and eventually you get a herniation. But you, we have to be objective here and look at the ranges of motions in the studies and look at the ranges of motions in, in uh, you know, while you're doing crunches and things like that. And, and you have to take an evidence, you know, a scientific approach to that topic. And I would, you know, like I have a podcast. I would love to debate things civilly with any guru out there who has any problem with me. I can sit and debate with them, but most of them can't debate. They would never debate me. In fact, I don't think any guru would ever debate me on anything because I think deep down they know I'd make a fool out of them and it would ruin their image because I know the science and they don't. And so, you know, when I make claims, it's based on informing myself uh, on all of the scientific evidence. I read everything. I'm an avid reader and researcher. So I'm not saying I, that makes me right. What I'm saying is what, I, what, the, what the guru would have to do is at the end say, okay, good, good, good talk. I guess, you know, we don't really know the answer and, you know, another study is needed. But they can't be like that. That's why they're gurus. They have to be the leader. They have to be the one calling the shot. And so I don't really relate to many of these guys anymore. And, you know, if that's how you're going to be, then we don't speak the same language. You can't be my friend because I can't sit down and talk with you because, you know, like, it, like, like mentioned Brad Schoenfeld, we talk all the time and we stop each other and go, whoa, whoa, wait, <clears throat> you know, I don't know, like, here's my understanding. And, and then we correct each other or inform each other and... Brad and I think differently on certain things, and we're, and we're okay with that because we know that, like, if a study came out showing one way or the other, then the other would go towards the evidence. But, you know, with, with things where there's no evidence for, you have to just, you know, you, you form your decision based on what's available, based on logic and, you know, anecdotes and things like that, and existing studies that are kind of like mechanistic studies that are similar. But if there's no specific research... You know, we don't have to agree on everything, but a lot of these guys out there, it's like, like, for example, Robbie, back extensions. You can do them with no lumbar hyperextension. They're, my clients and my, I have a huge online following now, and most of them will say, God, deadlifts I find a lot more problematic than back extensions, and sure, it has to do with the person. Not everyone's going to feel every exercise the same way, but if you can't learn how to do back extensions correctly, and you just category, like, categor categorically eliminate them and say nobody should do them. They're a horrible exercise because, you know, they encourage lumbar extension. Like, we could say that about every exercise. You shouldn't do deadlifts because they encourage lumbar flexion. Mm -hmm. How come I've been able to successfully program and teach good form with hip thrusts and back extensions? And a lot of these gurus say they're too dangerous. And it's like other coaches are seeing great success with them. That's when you're a guru. When you say this exercise is too dangerous, no one should ever do it, you've become a guru and you're not trying to promote evidence-based thinking. You are trying to form your own camp. I mean, it, there's a science to it. If you want to form your own camp 
and you want to, then you have to be polarizing. That's what creates cults and things like that, you know? Yeah, and yeah. so you can't just, you can't have a cult with no hard lines, with no, you know, black and white polarizing topics. And so that's where I don't, I don't relate to a lot of the people in the, in the, in the strength and conditioning field because I, I just, I read their logic and it's absurd to me. And so back to the strength coach thread, I don't post, I realize I'm not going to post on strengthcoach.com very often because it's a top-down thing. The respect comes from the top-down. If once upon a time strengthcoach.com had all these great contributors to it, there were all sorts of people contributing, but none of them do anymore. You remember that page on strengthcoach.com that had all the experts that chimed in? Mm -hmm. None of those experts are there anymore, and it's because of how polarizing it's become. And I mean, it's silly. It's to the point now where like every single question becomes, oh, did you FMS them? Nothing against the FMS, but it's not the, you know, it doesn't solve every single problem. And, uh, and it's, 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 uh, like, I remember there was a thread, like, what's the best glute exercise? And there's all these people, like there was someone saying, the, gl the glute bridge is actually a very advanced exercise, the bodyweight glute bridge. And I'm like, I, don't, I can't be on that forum anymore, Robbie. If you think that the bodyweight glute bridge is a very advanced exercise, you and me can't get along. That's like when you know, I start talking science to somebody and they start talking about like UFOs and things like that. I can't, you know, horoscopes and stuff like that. I you, can't, you, don't, you don't believe in UFOs? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go my, the opposite direction. You know what I mean? You and me are not going to see eye to eye. It's best for me to go my my in the opposite direction, and I will say that. But would you, but Brett, can I just can I just can I just say if someone if someone was saying something that you were like oh, you rolled your eyes and go oh god, but they said no, hear me out, hear me out. Would would you hear them out? Like even let's just of course I would. even even say with a UFO thing. Like I'm not. I'm just bringing that up. I'm just saying like would you actually sit down and say okay, come on, pr promote promote your evidence here. Uh, yeah, but I guess I've never met anyone who had a good logical, you know, like, but yeah, of course I would. But uh, on that thread, if you read through it, there were a lot of um, venomous comments from people that are so bitter at me because I have a popular blog now, because I've gained popularity. The reason why I've gained popularity is because my, because I have a, a blog that's way better than theirs. You know what I mean? My blog <laughs> kicks butt and I work very hard on it. Yeah. I'm constantly working on my blog. You know, I it's it's uh some of the people on there are bitter that I've risen to popularity. Well, I spent like I spent uh like what thirteen or fifteen years laying low, N not you know reading, learning, researching, and never writing anything. Of course, I'm going to rise to popularity faster than some twenty-year-old who's been lifting weights for, you know, four years and coaching people for one year, I spent over a decade doing that before I ever opened up a blog or wrote an article. And yeah, it's, it's, so, funny, it's funny because in that thread you were like, well, what, are you 33 now, Brett, or are you older? How, how old are you? Oh, uh, going to be 37 in like two like, days. Like you're 30, like when I saw that, I think you said 36 in the thread then, was it? And I was like, holy shit, Brett's 36. I was like, he's not young at all. Like, And then, and then like I was thinking like, one of the biggest influences of me, along with along with Mike himself when I was younger, was Eric Cressy. I'm like, Eric's been writing articles since he was like 22 or 23. Yeah, I waited till I was, you know, like 30, 
uh, what was it, four years ago? Like when I started writing, 2009, I guess. So yeah, I waited till I was. Um, and you've been coaching 10 years or more, haven't you? 33, yeah, for personal trainer for like 14, 14 years. So of course I'm going to rise, rise up faster, but that doesn't even matter. You don't even have to be, like if your stuff works, it works. Yeah, and yeah. Look at my look at my before and after pictures on my blog. They're better than anyone in the industry for glute glute changes. So of course I'm going to attract a ton of women. Uh, you have sprinters and, and athletes emailing me all the time saying, "God, after I started doing your stuff, my back stopped hurting, my this pain went away, my you know my improve my improved my sprint speed. Oh, my stuff works. So I'm I'm sorry that that bothers you." But, you know, even with the methods that other coaches use, it's like, well, we could all just do that to each other. For example, I could just say, oh, Mike Boyle uses the, oh, my God, he uses the Bulgarian split squat. That's so dangerous. It ruins your sacroiliac joint. Yeah. Oh, my God, hex, he does hex bar deadlifts. Why would you use something that induces that much spinal loading? Do you see what I'm saying? It's mm. such bullshit, Robbie, that you can just have these coaches go, oh, his stuff's dangerous. When you've never even tried it before, because I've done hex bar deadlifts, I've done them with clients for many years. I've done Bulgarian split squats, and they're very safe when you do them correctly. Well, so are hip thrusts and back extensions and all these other things. So that's when I realize someone's a guru when they start saying that person's stuff is dangerous or that person's just a power lifter. Like, gee, I've been giving people squats and deadlifts for how many years you can prevent injury by giving squats and deadlifts. And if you're that worried, just do dynamic effort method. You know, like mm. you can still employ these exercises. You don't have to totally disregard them. And I've found that the strengthcoach.com mindset has become this whole, you have to do these exercises. If you do these exercises, so basically like nine, ten, 90% of the world of the coaches are just horrible because they do squats and deadlifts and they don't just rely on single leg, you know, strength or whatever. What It's, it's silly. It's like... Those are the people who can't get along. If they went to a conference, they can't get along with anyone else because it's so polarizing, and they, they've turned, some of them have turned holier than thou. And not everyone in strengthcoach.com. I still have a lot of friends from there, but I won't go back on there until the attitude shifts, and it's gotten worse and worse. And if it were open to the public and you got other people chiming in, it would, you know, that's the thing about these forums. Go on Mark Ripito's forum, and everyone thinks the way Mark Ripito does. And if yeah. you're not doing just barbell lifts, you're an idiot. Mm -hmm. Go on strengthcoach.com, and if it's all about like single leg only and like FMS and you know anti core like core stability exercises, and that's it. And then if you're doing anything else, you're an idiot. And go on Lyle McDonald's forum. And, you know, his way of, you know, like, everyone, well, Lyle McDonald's, everyone's an idiot except Lyle. And then, <laughs> you know, it's like everyone who has a forum, they all get this way. And if you look at a lot of the gurus in our field from the past, like from the 90s, they've turned crazy now. Go on, name, like, go on, go on, say Paul Quinn. You know you want to say his name. <laughs> Paul, Paul, check. A lot of these guys, they're like, I don't know. I don't even, like, what, you know, Ian King seems very bitter at things. Well, Ian, Ian is, yeah, it does seem bitter. I, I, but, uh, get get pop, over pop, it. Pop, move pop, on. Move pop. on. He was, Ian King was the best writer in the 90s. He, he was. Best, he was. You know, yeah, but I, I think the reason is, is because, um, 
you know, a lot of people took his stuff. I don't know if you've ever seen that YouTube video, I think, where he calls out Alan Cosgrove for, like, basically copying and pasting his book. Yeah, I've seen it, but the point is, like, don't let it ruin your spirit. Like, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The shit happened, I understand, but, uh, like, don't let it, you still have good stuff to share, and, I mean, he's, he's a brilliant dude, and I just see some of his YouTube videos, and I'm like, man, and so... I think the reason why it goes to these people's head is like what grounds me, Robbie, is research and science. I don't think I'm, I don't have to be right. I'm comfortable with not knowing, and I'm not, um, you know, like I, I, I'm well grounded in knowing what I know and knowing what I don't know, and knowing there's a whole lot that I don't know, and so I don't have to be this guru who knows everything. And I don't think because my colleagues don't stay grounded in science and the research, they they become overly confident about their own methods. Mm-hmm. They become, they create these camps and they're insulated under these walls of this forum and they have this, you know, legion of followers who will agree with everything they say. Therefore, they can't go speak at conferences like scientific conferences. You won't see any of these gurus speaking it for the NSCA because they'd get torn apart. And you know? just, just, just with strength coach, do you, do you think the problem is, is with Mike? Like, would, would you like, do you think it's Mike himself? Yeah, it's the if Mike had a more respectful outlook, you know, you gotta realize Mike has this anti like me versus them. Oh my God, they're all out to get me. CrossFit is the enemy of the world. The NSCA is the enemy. You know, this coach is the enemy. This coach is the enemy. And it's um, you know, when you do that enough times, it's like I don't know. And and I, I know that like. I can't. I don't. I can't. I don't feel like strengthcoach.com is a comfortable place for me to post because okay. it's like it's not a scientific. It's not a. And you get all these coaches on there that would be like, oh, if you're not like one. Some of the coaches' response on that thread. It's ad hominem. If you're not training people for thirty hours a week, then I don't want to listen to you. I think most of the guys, the the experts out there, aren't training people thirty hours a week. Research makes you smarter. The guys who can find the time to start researching, it makes them a better coach. It makes them a better, you know, Alan Cosgrove is very well-versed in the fat loss research. Um, you know, well, would, you, would, these, you, would you agree that you should be doing some amount of coaching? Uh, yeah, of course. That, I mean, that prevents you from becoming esoteric. It lets you t- test out your theories. When you stop coaching, you stop coming up. Your blog, like, your blog isn't interesting because you're not like half most of my good blog ideas come from me training people Mm. and so I don't think you'd be effective if you didn't coach people but you don't have to coach people 40 50 or you know even 30 hours a week you can do like two three training sessions a a day and still keep your you know uh, you can have a bunch of training partners and that keeps you as long as you get new ones and train beginners and things like that and train a variety of people you don't have to be training people so long, but the point is, so these guys then, they, they're saying if you aren't training people 30 a week, so then just form a group of, just form a, uh, you know, society where that's all you listen to and you don't look at any research, you don't look at any science, because none of the research uh, professors are training people 30 hours a week, number one, and number two, that, that's a dangerous slippery slope because that's where you get into this groupthink mentality where no one questions each other and you get this whole, you know, I see it in all these different communities, the track and field community, some of the stuff they rely on is just because of tradition. The science 
shows it's not correct anymore. But sure, I mean, it's 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 no different. It's no different to religion. I mean, it's a belief system that people uh, that believe people buy into. But something I just want to ask is: do, do you think everything has to be backed up by science? Just go, going away from strength. Like, like, like one one thing I was talking to Joe Ken this uh, a few weeks ago. I spoke in South Carolina, and Joe said, "You know, Brett, you know why I love you." Uh, he goes, I came over to your place, and we were talking. He came over to my house when I lived in Scottsdale, and we started talking shop. And I go, Joe, come out here. Come out to my garage. And I turn on the fan, and we start working out in the garage. And I have all my, you know, I have my garage gym out there. And we start doing hip thrusts. We start doing different exercises. And I'm, I'm a, you know, I lift weights every day. I, I lift weights with, like, some of the strongest guys in Arizona. I have powerlifting friends. I've got, you know, uh, and I still train clients, and I, I've always still trained clients. And so I'm a practically, I owned a facility. I trained so many people. You get to a point, like, does, does Mark Verstegen need to train people 40 hours a week to no, have a, an opinion on a topic? No, come on. But, like, I mean, does, does I, I don't know now. I'm just going to ask this question, and, and maybe if he hears this, he might email me and ask me. But, I mean, does Alan Cosgrove coach anybody anymore? I don't. I, I just... like, well, that, that's the point. I don't think he does like one on one, but he's in charge of the staff, and I bet you he walks through the gym floor a lot. Yeah. But I won't say to Alan like you need to be coaching forty hours a week. I've seen Alan at seminars. He knows his shit. You well, know I mean, what I mean? He, he definitely coached clients for you know yeah for a lot of years, and yeah. so once you do it for so many years, it's a natural progression. I think it's so funny because people call it in the trenches, which cracks me up like it's like you're taking grenades. Come on, it's not that bad. <laughs> but I, I still, would you still believe you still should be, you know, coaching? Of course, uh, you should yeah. still train people. But, uh, you know, how much is optimal? I really believe that at this point, I think it shifts in your career. I think the progression of, like, you look at guys like Verkoshansky and those guys, like Mel Sif. And now, I'm not saying they're the best coaches in the world. I never saw them coach, um, Zatsiorski, people like that. But their evolution as, a, as an expert, they spent, you know, just like everyone, they spent their teens lifting weights and then their 20s starting to personal train and coach more and then their 30s and 40s. And when you get to your older, you have, like when you're younger, you have a greater proportion of uh, you know, practical and less scientific and then as you get older you need less practical and more scientific so it's a natural progression and if you look at most of the experts in our field they've shifted towards that because people want from the experts they want interesting stuff you don't get interesting stuff just by training 40 hours a week like a lot of the coaches who are bitter at me for having a popular blog I read their blog and I'm like their blog sucks it's bo it's boring you need to have scientific info you need to have it you know if you want a good popular blog where people read it, it's got to be intriguing and so you don't you, you got to learn the science in order to be intriguing so I don't think that like like Alan Cosgrove I would listen to him in a heartbeat because he to me I've listened to him talk he's a he knows his stuff I wouldn't accuse him but I've been accused of, on, on that thread from strengthcoach.com I got accused of not training people much what does that have to do with anything let's argue the science you're telling me that the American hit, uh, deadlift is dangerous because people go into lumbar flexion. I'm telling you, there's a way to do it where it's just posterior pelvic tilt and not much lumbar flexion. I teach my clients the difference. You know, mm -hmm. you can posterior tilt and it actually relieves 
you know, pressure off the spine. It decreases compressive forces because it decreases erector spinae activation and makes the, the glutes are holding up the load, you know? And But I, I didn't I think, have anyone I, I think, wanting to I just, engage, really. Not many people wanting to yeah. engage in a scientific discussion. It was more of this ad hominem. I'm yeah, going to... Yeah. I'm gonna like come come at you with unscientific things and just like um, one of the guys wanted to know who are you consulting with? Like that's what you uh, you have me on the thread and that's what you're so damn insecure that that's what you need to know about. Like that just blows me away and that's where I realized I just I've, I've uh, gone in a different direction and I think it comes from the top down and that's why the forum has become what it has. It used to be more fun to post in, but now it's this polarizing. There's only one way to do things, and if you're not doing things the exact same way, then you're obviously do inferior. You, do, well, do, you, do you think that everything that every coach does has to have a scientific background in it? Because I just just let me use one example. It's it's not a training example, but just take for instance love, for instance, as in love with your partner or your parents. I mean, there's no science that's ever going to prove what love is, but we know it exists. So in training, like there is certain things that we know works, but we're still not too sure why they work. Oh, I've heard that. Like, I've heard that being said before, but I disagree. Like, you can come up with a good study design to test anything. Could you come up with a study to prove love? Yeah, like, you could. You could, you know, like a, a qualitative study or, a, you know, an interview or a, um, th- you know, like a form to fill out, things like that. You can, there's a lot of ways around things that you can get. Like, think of something with strength and conditioning. You could come up with a good study design. It's not saying something needs research to support yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. All it is is, and it's funny because people will misinterpret what I say about having to be evidence-based. Evidence-based doesn't mean there has to be a scientific study to support it. What evidence-based means, Robbie, is I'm going to try my best to expose myself to, you know, a wide variety of research on this topic. I'm going to look... I'm going to look at anecdotes, I'm going to look at tradition, I'm going to look at logic, I'm going to look at the science, but I'm also going to look at the research, I'm going to see if there's any literature, I'm going to look for specific studies, hopefully there's a review paper on it, hopefully there's a meta-analysis, but are there specific studies? If there are specific studies, are there mechanistic studies? When this expert claims that this is the way that, you know, um, NO explode is going to increase your arginine levels and therefore you're going to get greater pumps, well, is arginine... The limiting factor with getting greater cellular swelling does it increase the arginine in your blood and does arginine is that the li- rate limiting step is that going to increase your pump you know you need to know these things rather than just say oh this bodybuilder used it and he said it gave him greater pumps that's an anecdote you, mm. you learn to categorize things okay it might work I'm not confident about it you know you categorize Different. You weigh the different levels of evidence, and you make your, uh, you know, your opinions and your thought process according to these different weights of evidence. Yeah. And yeah, you know yeah. how to be confident about something, how to be skeptical about something, and you that, that drives your program design because it's like, okay, I know squats work. I'm gonna, you know, I like squats or Bulgarian split squats. They work. You know, I don't need a study. I know that squats work, and I know that Bulgarian split squats from the research induce a similar amount of joint torque and EMG and it's a similar movement pattern so I you know I didn't need a study showing Bulgarian split squats transferred well to whatever quad hypertrophy or sprinting or jumping improvements or whatever 
before I started doing them because I could use my knowledge of other science to make that leap. Yeah, well, I think I think that kind of clears up. That even cleared up a little more for me than what you mean by evidence based. But uh, just a few a few more things. One thing we, I, you mentioned, Polacek, they were crazy. I'm actually a huge Polacek fan. I really like Polacek. I kind of like all that crazy shit, to be honest. Wait, <laughs> and he, yeah, he, you're blending he, Poliquin and. Paul Check. He, 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 uh, he, he Paul Check was always crazy, but Paul Quinn is just uh, like even though I, I Charles. Oh, say Paul Check. I thought you said Paul. No, 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 Paul Check. I'm a huge Paul Check fan. Okay. I, I, lo- I, I really like Paul. I've interviewed Paul and I've talked to him a few times. I really think he's a good bloke. I really like him because uh, he, I, I like all that crazy shit like with spirituality, and he was always crazy though. So, but uh, just, just as well for you know people listening too. I mean, I think Mike, Mike Boyle will well, probably real quick. I don't. The reason when I started thinking he's out there is when he predicted an earthquake on his blog oh did he well that, that does... yeah i read it someone forwarded it to me and i'm like and then that earthquake never happened and i'm like there was no like if i predicted an earthquake on my blog and it didn't happen i'd then like apologize and and i also think that he needs to you know come out and say okay you shouldn't draw in anymore i've, I've watched him try to justify the drawing maneuver and say that you're getting eccentric yeah you know uh, that that's that, that that is that is and it's funny too because he said he studied with the with the with the physios out in prague like and i've done dns a and b and they are prague influenced by by carl levin and and yanda and they would never teach a drawing they they were like they were like no no do not draw in they're like belly round they're like they have to go baby baby fat belly never draw in uh, <laughs> not at this point it's just pride i'm gonna continue to like you have you ever read my blog post uh how to be a guru and a fitness expert in 25 easy steps. I, I, I read, I did read that a while ago. It was very just, good. Uh, you don't, you can't admit fault. You can't, you know, say you were wrong. You have to defend it at any cost. And, you know, no matter, you know, screw the research and I'm going to defend this and come up with wacky ways to defend my original position rather than, you know, it's actually you know, it's actually one question I'm going to ask him next time I interview him on the podcast, Paul. But overall, he's he's a great guy, and as, I just want to say for like, because Mike will probably listen to this as well. Like, I mean, I interrupt Mike, and I I know you're not attacking Mike as as a, a man or a person, so that needs to be qual- qualified too. Like, I mean, this is the thing about disagree without dislike. But I, I just want to say from you know for you and the listeners, like on a human level, I've met Mike and spent time with him one on one, and as a man and as a person, as a human, he is a great guy. Like, and people think he's all about. Like it's funny because Vern was talking about like, you know, you know, it's an industry and people have to make money off products, this, that, and that. I'm like, but Vern has books and DVDs and courses as well, and you know, so like, I mean, and it's hard to know. Are, is it just are they just trying to make money or whatever? But I, I know, like, I was in a car at Mike Boyle, and he turned to me dead serious and said, "His people can buy my stuff or not. It's not about money with me." Because I genuinely just love the field, like, but like I do agree with a lot of the points that a lot of, again it's it's like the well, it's, Bird to me has become too bitter he's uh i actually i asked him i asked him to share but he's a he's bitter and he's <laughs> he's mad about pop, some of the guys if you become more popular than him and it bugs the hell out of him you can tell you can read it it's i mean he wears his emotions on his sleeve yeah, through his yeah, writing yeah. and with mike uh maybe he is a good guy but i some of the people he's like myself i didn't deserve I know, I yeah, yeah, no, I agree. The guy, I agree. He badmouthed me on his forum, and like because I disagreed with the crunch debate. If he wants to be a man about it and talk to me on his his podcast, I'd love to, or anything he wants to talk about. But he won't. He doesn't. Uh, to me, you know, uh, as a grown man, I hold myself to certain standards, and uh, I, you know, I won't. If if somebody out there, if another expert, if I'm bagging on them and that person comes out and says hey let's debate or 
when if I if I if, let's talk about it. if I get Mike on if if I could get Mike on would you would you have a discussion with him on this podcast? Oh, I'd gladly have a discussion with him or anyone. Or yeah, Mark that's Rizzo great. I mean, that's, that's 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 what Mike McDonald or anyone. I'd love yeah. to talk. I'd I'd talk to anyone about anything that they have to talk to me about because hey, maybe there's something that they know that I don't know, and maybe they could uh, um, Inlight, you know, help shed some light on things. But the problem is, what I I don't see that they're passionate about science it's more like i'm gonna get all my followers to dislike this guy by ad hominem attacks and then from then on all the people of that forum or the followers of that people then hate this person the rest of their life rather than experiment with the methods and see if they work or you know take another viewpoint and that's what i have a problem with these cultish communities who don't think rationally for themselves and well, I, mean, so, I mean it goes back then to thinking for yourself and not being a conformist but uh, something I, I said to Stuart McGill was there's a guy called Jock Fresco who talks about people being victims of culture so you know and, and Joseph, Joseph Chilton Pierce who I mentioned earlier on he calls it enculturation and he also talks about um, um, developmental conditioning from a young age so what you see a lot of time just within the strength now this is within life in general but just even within the strength and conditioning industry is people's personalities shine through so you know if they're if their sort of developmental condition is to be a, a real negative person, a downer, if that was the kind of uh, environment that they were raised in, you know, so they're a victim of that culture, they're a victim of that environment, that's kind of the personality that they're going to portray through their coaching lens. So they're always going to be, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, blah, 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 blah. Or else, you know, if another guy came from a family who were really, not, not just a family, but his environment was more sort of, you know, more accepting and open-minded. They might be, that's very interesting. So I, what I was saying to Stuart and Nacho was, you know, people are really victims of their cultures. And when you kind of understand that people are victims of their cultures, that, you know, the, that this developmental conditioning kind of builds in their subconscious brain. And it really is the reason for, the, for, for them being the way that they are. It kind of helps you. Know, you. It's so funny you're saying that, Robbie. When I spoke in Australia a couple of years ago, a guy was talking about the brain... Uh, I had to pee for like three straight hours and I held my bladder the whole time because I didn't want to miss a word. I didn't want to miss a word of this guy's seminar. It was the best, still to this day, the best seminar I've ever witnessed. His name was Paul Taylor. He's from Ireland. Oh, way. Uh, uh, yeah, do you know him? No, I must get in contact. Well, the reason I learned about subconscious... Wait, he, conscious, well, real quick, he talked ahead. about the, the developmental brain and like if you weren't something about like during this precious time period in development if you weren't like loved properly or held properly then you the rest of your life you're going to be you know um negative and, yeah. and, and judgmental of others and yeah. not distrusting of others and it's yeah. funny because I, I thought about our field too with that well i mean but i got all that stuff kind of through politic and joseph Shilton pierce and again they because joseph because basically in your brain you have this is very basic but you have the reptilian part the malmarian limbic brain and obviously the neocortex that makes us humans and they say that if you are born in a very stressful environment and then you're raised in a stressful environment for the first few years of your of your life so that developmental period you're going to be in that sort of anxious anxiety reptilian fight flight defensive brain all the time and that defensive brain will try to take the higher parts of your brain into its into its um like t- t- the the reptilian brain will try and control the higher brain so you'll always be defensive and you'll always be coming up with you like the, the reptilian brain basically says to the higher brain you're, you're more intelligent than me but i'm the boss here i'm in control of you so what i want you to do is come up with rational or uh, arguments to make my point of view sound right so i'm always defensive i was like no you're wrong i'm right because of this and this and you're wrong and i also have to put you down so that i'm more superior because really i'm just inferior and insecure because i'm always in an anxious state so that's that's like how one reason why developmental condition comes in so what i'm saying is when you start to understand this about people like 
you start to understand why people are the way they are and they don't even consciously know why they're that way and if you understand that you kind of get to a place where you can never really fully be angry at any human ever because you realize that this subconscious brain is ruling their life and consciously they're just not aware of it at all like and bruce yeah right i'm not i'm not at that point yet like i, <laughs> I get annoyed at people because a lot of my time is spent answering emails based on things that guru black and you know bold black and white statements that gurus make and then I spend my time you know I, I, I should just not respond to any more emails no do like, do Brad you're, you're, you're doing good by doing that don't, don't be as you, my point is if I don't if lose I, the fate as you said earlier on if we all spoke the same language science and, and, and again this isn't to say that science is practi- practi- the practical side of things is a component of science it's a huge component but the point is um if we all spoke the same language, we wouldn't have so much. We'd have we'd have like yeah, civil civil understandings. We wouldn't see the ad hominem. Now, Robbie, I have not like I responded to Poliquin because I heard from people that he was bad mouthing me and my methods. Yeah. I laid off Poliquin. I respond when people come after me. Mike Boyle started bad mouthing me on his podcast. Uh, you know, I've heard Mark Ripito on his, someone's forward me something on the forum where he was saying that hip thrusts don't work, whatever that means, doesn't work. And I, I you know. But would you, would you not, would you not like email Mark and say, hey Mark, I saw this, I mean. I don't have his email address. I don't have, and either way, the point is, if anyone, if any one of you want to talk about it, let's talk. Yeah, but I yeah. respond, I don't go after them, they come after me and I just respond. I mind my own business. But to me, you shouldn't throw stones What's the saying? Like, if you live in a glass house or something like that, or I don't know if I'm mixing up two two <laughs> different things. But the point is, uh, like, don't don't you know? Uh, he who is without sin cast the first stone. I think that's what I'm thinking of. You better if you're going to criticize someone because I can look at most of their stuff and just point out serious flaws in their logic or their or flaws in their understanding of science. And so, if you want to go down that road, come debate me and we'll talk about it like men. But I don't, you know, I've off, I, I've said let's debate to these different guys, and no one ever does it. So yeah, I'm just yeah. becoming like basically you, and that's what annoys me too is your the people's fan base don't hold them to it. Like if I would expect my fan base, if I was talking trash about someone, and then that person said, hey, let's debate this, I would hope my people would hold me accountable. And go, Brett, you're being a coward by not debate. You talk trash about that person, and then that person said let's debate, and then you back down. Mm-hmm. So I just, I don't know what to do. How do we settle debates if there's no discussion? And how do we make progress if, like, hell, I, I'd be the first guy to say, fine, let us let me train some people and let you train some people. We'll take baseline, you know, pre and post measurements and see who's, whose methods work better. See who comes out ahead. So let's, or let's uh, conduct a, hey, I'll find some people, I'll find some students to conduct an experiment based on your and my disagreement and then we'll let the chips fall where they may but we can't make progress because of the guruism out there you know well, again it, co- it comes back to another interesting thing you should probably look up i actually interviewed these people too is the venus project and jock fresco again this guy he you know his bait he has this thing like it's very i suppose people call it idealistic but he's invented this sort of new world the way the world could run without money a resource-based economy but he was asked about language how would he see language in this new world and he said we have to get rid of language because the language is too subjective he says we need an objective language he talked about science being the objective language of a new world so it's kind of funny that you mentioned that but again even even if you were to bring 
like yourself and someone else, what would be the baseline to measure your certain criteria against? You know what I'm saying? Well, you have to nail down like what the argument is, because yeah. for example, what blew me away was when one podcast I hear some people forward me stuff. You know, Robbie, like I've got a lot of fans, and so whenever somebody in the strength and conditioning field says something about me, I get like three emails from people saying, "Did you see this? Did you hear this?" Well, there's one podcast where Mike was saying Brett Contreras doesn't understand the science. Of, of crunching, uh, of lumbar flexion. I wrote a review paper. Have you read the review paper? I, I read like 400 papers to write that review paper. Yeah, I, I see, know the I science see. way better than Mike does, so if he wants to talk about it, put your... Like, that's a very bold statement to say. He doesn't understand the science. When I wrote a review paper, and he's never published anything in his life, mm-hmm. he's never taken the time to read the research on this, he's probably went, read one Stu McGill book versus me reading 400 papers, and then he has the audacity to tell me I don't understand the science, but then, you know, then debate me. Let's go on and talk about the science of lumbar flexion. Let's talk about what you think you know. And, hey, maybe, hey, maybe he does know some things that I don't know. But then, in another podcast, someone asked him about straight leg sit-ups, and he goes, well, straight leg sit-ups aren't that bad because you're not doing a, high, you know, a ton of volume, and you're probably not. I don't know what else he said, but he, he basically said the same thing I said in my crunch paper was, we said if you limit your crunches to like, you know, I think we said like. Well, I, I think I think the point is now. Three sets of forty, yeah. couple times of two, two, three times a week, then you're not going to be creating the damage. And if you limit the range of motion, if you perform a crunch like this, and I don't even. And then he said, yeah. and he's whiny. He likes to do crunches, and I don't. He's wrong about that. So to me, if you're wrong, if you say something about a guy and you're wrong, you should man up and admit it and say, oh, I, I accused Brett Contreras of this, and it turns out I was wrong, because I don't do crunches, and I don't like crunches. So, mm-hmm. like, he, I don't know. That's called ad hominem, and it really upsets me that our field is tolerant of this ad hominem attacks rather than addressing the science. I would gain a lot more respect from Mike if he said, here's Brett Contreras' position. He feels that during crunches, if you crunch according to this type of form, your lumbar spine does not go through enough range of motion to be causing the damages that are shown in these experimental studies, you know, in vitro studies on the spine because they're using full lumbar flexion yeah. and during a crunch you're not. How, you know, here's his position, but I don't, you know, here's why I disagree with his position, but I do understand his point and I'm eagerly awaiting new research to shed light on this. That's where I would respect him, but by his ad hominem attack, he showed to me that he doesn't understand the topic, number one, and, you know, and number two, he's just going to try to poison his people against me because how dare him say the emperor doesn't have any clothes and call him out on this whole, you have a limited number of spinal flexion cycles and eventually it just, you know, it breaks. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with that. And so, you know, I think that's oversimplifying things. And so if he wants to talk about it, man up and talk about it, but don't just poison me on your blog or on your podcast without giving me a chance to respond, you know? Okay. Well, that's, that's, that's fair enough. Um... I mean, I, I do think that that's a fair enough comment. Uh, I'm definitely more of the viewpoint of love thy enemy. <laughs> I know, and Robbie, I trust me. As the years go on, you kind uh, of actually, uh, um, Adams, Michael Adams said this once in a in a podcast. Uh, he's a, a spinal researcher. He, I think, he was one of Stu's mentors, but he said. As you go grow older, you tend to want to be part of the solution, not part of the fueling the you know the whole the venom and it's the just, attacks. It's just, I do. It's just. It's I just, do see myself doing that as time goes on. I mellow out a little bit, and I 
you know, I don't, uh, I lose steam and I, I can understand that. I can understand that you, you're frustrated and feel like that. But at the same time, I mean, listen, I was like that a few years ago when you saw bad training, but I think I, I agree with what Michael Adams is saying. I mean, instead of putting your energy in towards being angry about it and, and constantly defending of it, kind of maybe put that energy in more to kind of making other people know that's not what I'm saying. This is what I'm but saying. I, I think what frustrates me, Robbie, is that the culture in our industry, yeah. I can't be part of the solution because there's no way of being a solution with with these types of gurus who don't, who just make bold statements and then shelter themselves with their blogs. But I then, mean, what would happen if strengthcoach.com melded with like starting strength? <laughs> like, it would just be this explosion because they're both so polarizing and this is the only way to train. You know, and it's because of the bold leaders saying you, this you, is the only you, way to train. You could, could you imagine Louis Simmons and Mike Boyle having a blog together? <laughs> but come here, Brett. I mean, th- th- I mean, this th- this is why I think it's so important to, to look at other. Like, I always get interns coming to me. And they're like, you know, strength and strength condition. I'm like, listen, strength the strength and condition. Not that it's easier because there's lots of science. But I'm like, listen, you need to study other areas as well, like stress physiology, neuroscience. Understand this one's brain works. You need to study hormones, functional medicine, all of this shit. You need to understand. But uh, just with regards to you know everyone's individual personality again i'll go back to the developmental conditioning and subconscious mind i mean i think when you under get to understand that you just become a lot more accepting of why people are aware because now like nowadays i'm always i always get people going you know uh the polycom guys say i should do all my dumbbell presses with a neutral grip and i'm like and I, you know instead of being going oh it's just i'm just like yeah you can do it that way it's, it's diff- just different it's not it's not wrong it's not right it's just different <laughs> You know, so it's just kind of like if they're like, "Oh, but you only have to do neutral grip." I'm like, "No, you can. You don't have to just do neutral grip. You can do it any way you want. It's just a variation." So it's you know, you, I for me personally, I just become more accepting. But I definitely understand where you're coming from. Well, again, I'm responding to like me being attacked by people, and I think it's I I think it's jealousy. I think it has to do with my rise to popularity. If I was just some plus, you're, you're a hunk as well. You know what I mean? You're you're a sexy fucker. You know. So. <laughs> well. uh you know, at the end of the day, here's what's sad. The people listening to this who are fans of mine will agree with me and go, yeah, Brett, yeah, rah, rah. And the people who are fans of, you know, other people, like Mike, will say, oh, my God, what an idiot. And it doesn't change things, and it doesn't make any difference. And I wish I wish there were a way to make a bigger difference, but I think the way to make a bigger difference is by research, you know, like okay, yeah. publishing good quality studies, and that's hard to do. Like, yeah. I can only do so much right now. I'm working on my Ph.D., but... I wish I had the whole legion of people under under me to conduct analyses, you know. Brett, it's it's an hour and a half here, and I have to have my dinner because <laughs> I'm starving. But like, I definitely want to get you back on because I I have another half half page of stuff here with hypertrophy and strength training and horizontal vector that we didn't even get to talk to men versus women training glutes. So like, we have so much more to cover. So this may be just a Brett Contreras part one. Um, but we'll wrap it up there for today stay on the line and, and I'll, I'll just say my goodbyes to you have, have you any closing thoughts for, for this show no just thanks for having me on Robbie we uh, we got into some courageous conversation there so I appreciate that's, that's what I well that's what I want one thing I want with this podcast is just to cut the BS get to the point I can't stand this you know just not naming people or just tiptoeing around subject. I'm like, here, let's like with Vern. I was like, Vern, let's just get into the FMS. I just want to get straight to the fucking, the, you know, the main issue here. <laughs> so uh, you know, that's just the way I am because you know, I just want just transparency. You know, as uh, like as you said earlier on, let's let's not be coward. Let's be you know, men. Let's be women. Let's be human. Let's be strong enough humans to stand up 
and have a, and have a, and what if you listen to Stuart McGillan's you did was one of my favorites because Stuart was like he was like the ability to have a stimulating conversation not not offending people it's it's very good it's making me think it's making you think that sort of way and it was very very good but uh, uh for all the listeners uh, check out Brett's blog Brett it is brettcontreras.com yes yep, yep. Uh, brilliant and I'm definitely gonna have Brett back on so for all the listeners guys I'll talk to you soon take care be well and peace. <laughs> Thank you.